Um, so now we have uh, Laren Heath, who is a dear friend of Rock Bible Church, one of the... Um, I love it when he comes here. I love listening to him teach. Um, I always am challenged, and um, I hope that he challenges us today, and I'm sure we'll bring, bring an awesome word. So, Laren, if we could give him a Too Hot and the Rockers welcome. <laughs> well... <clears throat> It's always good to be with you at Rock Bible Church. You're uh, kind. Um, your pastor tells me you've been making your way through the Gospel of Matthew. Is that true? And he says you're like somewhere into chapter 8, drifting into chapter 9. Is that true? Uh, and he said I could drop in anywhere in the book of Matthew today. So I noticed at the end of the, of the ninth chapter of Matthew, there's a little summary, two-verse summary, summarizing all that Jesus has been doing in those first nine chapters. And this summary gives us uh, um, a, a clear shot at who Jesus is and what his ministry is among us. And I think if we pay attention, I'll try it, if we uh, nestle into these two verses, found at the end of chapter 9, these two summaries, that will help us to get to know Jesus better. And that's always good, isn't it? Isn't it good to know Jesus better? And we never quite know him all together, do we? Isn't he so, we never quite got it all figured out, do we? He kind of comes to us new every morning, doesn't he? So um, before we look at these um, two verses to see if we can know Jesus better this morning. Let's pray and ask God to be with us. Holy Spirit of God, just as you inspired Matthew to write for us this story of Jesus, breathe again on these your people and bring this ancient word to life for us this morning. In the name of Jesus who promised us you would, we pray it. Amen? Amen. Okay, this, here's our verse, two verses, uh, found in Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 36. If you've got Bibles, you can turn there and circle an arrow. If not, I'll have the text up here. Isn't that what Scott does? Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, preaching the gospel, Galion, of the kingdom, teaching Didasco in their synagogues and healing, therapeuo, all kinds of disease and infirmity. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and aimless like sheep without a shepherd. How's that? Does that kind of sum up what we've learned about Jesus and Matthew so far? I snuck in our New Testament words there. I hope it's okay with you. But I put in our Greek words because um, you can figure them out, can't you? They, we we kind of get them in English, don't we? So uh, the word for gospel, preaching the gospel, euangelion, this, what do you think that we get from that? It's a little, not quite so obvious as others, that U gets turned into a V in German somehow. I don't know how this all works. But U is a preface 
used a lot in the New Testament, and it means good or beautiful. And angelion is the message. We get an angel from it, messenger. Angelion, the message, the good message, or the good news. Um, and a lot of your new, newer translations will just translate it good news, but it's hard to beat that old English word gospel, isn't it? And gospel does not mean God's spell. It means good, the good spell. You know, like when you spell a spelling thing, when you put the words together, the good story, see, the, the beautiful story. The gospel is the beautiful story. So we'll stick with gospel, but it means good news. And, and uh, we get our word in English, evangelical. You heard, is this church called an evangelical church sometimes? And when we say we're an evangelical church, we mean we're a church that's faithful to the gospel, that seeks to, in our words and deeds and who we are, to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, the next one, the uh, dasko, what do you think we get from that? Is there an English word we get from that? Teaching? Do we say didactic? Have you heard that? Usually it's a negative. When we say something's didactic, we mean they're sort of ponderously teaching us, right? But it's not a, uh, it's a good word. And it means the art of teaching. And Jesus was an artful teacher, wasn't he? Pretty good. And then the last one, I think we'll, we'll nail this one. The word for healing in the New Testament is therapeuo. Where do you think we get from that? See how? <laughs> yeah, therapeutic. Isn't that great? There's something therapeutic about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therapeutic, we use it a lot. We were just with our friends, the Corbers, and Marilyn Corber is a physical therapeutic, a physical therapist. And whenever we hang out with them, she always goes to work on something that's not working in our bodies. Or a, uh, a, a, a psychologist is a, a therapist, right? And psych, psyche means soul. Psychotherapist is one who seeks to, you know, bring healing to our souls. Now, God is uh, the great healer of body and soul. So, Oh, I, I should say that last part is too good, too. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and aimless like sheep without a shepherd. It tells us the motive of Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing. He preaches and teaches and healing for us out of his compassion. And he has a compassion for those who are sort of downtrodden, kind of beat up. The ones that... Um, that never feel they're really quite a part of Caesar's kingdom or of Israel's kingdom. They're sort of aimless. And Jesus comes and brings good news. He brings a new teaching. He brings therapeutic healing into their lives. Well, I thought we'd drop back and take a look at a few of these that we've come across in Matthew beginning with the first time we find Jesus preaching. It's back in Matthew chapter 4, verses, verse 13 and then through 18. Um, our next slide. There we go, good. 
Jesus left Nazareth, that's his hometown, and made his home in Capernaum by the sea. Capernaum by the sea. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Sort of like Carmel by the sea, right? Uh, From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, preaching, heralding, the kingdom of God has come near. Something happened. See, when you preach, you make an announcement that something happened. It's not something I came up with. It's not a new teaching that I figured out. It's not a new philosophy of life. Something happened. And that something that happened made a big difference. We can never look at the world quite the same way again after Christmas morning, can we? Emmanuel, God with us, God in a manger, the kingdom of God has come near. And this kingdom, this preaching, draws a crowd. And after, out, out of this crowd comes people like Simon, the fisherman, Brother Andrew, and they follow Jesus and enter into this kingdom of God, this uh, alternative kingdom, right under Caesar's nose. Here's a new kingdom with a new king, King Jesus, his kingly rule in our lives. This preaching forms a community, just as it has here. If there was never any preaching here, do you think we'd be here today? As, as obnoxious as preaching can be, as, um, what's called, Paul even calls it foolishness, that I would stand up here and try to tell you what you're supposed to do in your life, I got to see Judge Blay work in the courtroom the other day. He's a superior court judge, buddy. Got to hang out with him. And I said, you know, Judge, whatever you say people have to do. You got like three sheriffs in there. People get moved around. I say, I say something. Nobody has to do anything. <laughs> but to some, when preaching goes forth, some say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want a new king. I'm tired of Caesar. I would like somebody like Jesus to be king of my life and king of this new kingdom. Well, what's this kingdom going to look like? And that comes to us next in the uh, teaching of Jesus. So the next thing we find about the teaching of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, Hard to beat the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? So here's his preaching. Uh, His handful of disciples follow him. He takes them up the mountain. The crowd follows, but he talks to his disciples. This is the way the kingdom of heaven works. This is the way the kingdom of God works within the world. This is the kind of character that it has. And he says, talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. And he talks about those who have been harassed and downtrodden in Caesar's kingdom 
are now going to be blessed. The mournful, the meek are going to be blessed. Those who hunger for things to be right are going to receive the blessings of God. Those who thought they never had a place in Caesar's kingdom have a kingdom and a place in the kingdom of God. And so then Jesus talks about the new way in this new kingdom. I'll just read a few of these for you. Sermon on the Mounts may be best read than explained. Jesus says, you have heard it. It was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Okay, you've sort of been taught, right, you? Right, haven't you? That you love your neighbor. You like people who are like you, think like you, same political party as you, watch the same news stations as you watch. They're my kind of people, right? And the other kind of people I'm not so sure about. Or as we go through life, we do run into people that don't like us. Does that happen? Or certain people we find hard to like. Does that happen? Now, why are we supposed to love them as well, according to Jesus? This is kind of interesting. Notice his reason. He says, be nice to them because, love them, for your Father in heaven makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You notice when it rains in your neighborhood, have you noticed? Does the, does the rain just fall on Christian homes? Is that how God works? And your enemy down the street, or the neighbor you haven't been getting along with, does it, does it skip him? Or does it just rain on all humanity, on all creatures of our God and King? Is God generous in bringing bounty to the earth and bringing rain? Well, if God treats his creatures that way and his creation that way, then you can treat others that way, can't you? Always put Jesus between you and the other. And if there's something, some person you just don't like, someone shoot your enemy, you see them as God sees them, as his creature for whom Christ died. And he grants them the blessings of sunshine and rain. Well, let's do some more. Chapter 6 in Matthew. Beware of, of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. Whenever you give alms, some, you know, money, something good, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If you let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, you ruin it, right? You can't say, look what I did. That's no good. Or again, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by others. But whenever you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy thy, earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that something? Remember Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is coming near? Kingdom of heaven, same phrase. Now when you pray, you pray that that kingdom that you have entered as Jesus is your kingly ruler, that that kingdom may take place right here on earth. See, It's on its way. It will arrive for sure. And Jesus has already brought it into our hearts and lives. Right under Caesar's nose. Isn't that something? So that's the way we behave in God's kingdom. Let's look at one last one in the Lord's, on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to them, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed as beautiful as one of these. Isn't that something? It's interesting to me, as I read the Sermon on the Mount again, thinking of today, how much Jesus points us towards the goodness of his creation. Isn't that something? He's in a way saying, you've entered the kingdom of God. Now, Repent. It means turn, turn. Don't, don't see the world in the old way you used to see it. See the world different now. See the world through the eyes of Christ. And see that the world isn't all that bad. There's still something awfully good about creation, isn't there? Uh, notice the rain. Isn't it something? It just rains on all sorts of people. And notice the sunshine in the morning. Are, are you the only one that enjoys a sunrise? Or does your enemy enjoy a sunrise too? And notice the birds in the air. Do you notice the birds in the air? They seem to manage, get their food somewhere. I don't know how they do that. But they don't farm or anything like that. And God takes care of them. Um, Take a look at the lilies of the field. Aren't they beautiful? Um, when we enter into the kingdom of God, enter in the kingdom of heaven, we see the world differently than we did before. We don't see it as something to be managed or something in which we have to fight for. We see it as a gift from God. Rain is a gift. Birds flying in our backyard is a gift. Lilies growing in the field is a gift. Um, we, we've been reoriented. We don't see everything in such a negative way anymore. We see the wonders of God in creation and in life. That's how Jesus taught us. He's a pretty good teacher, isn't he? Well, let's look at one more. We have... Preaching, we got teaching, what else do we have? Healing, preaching, teaching, healing, good. Well, let's look at our healing slide, it's from Matthew 
chapter 8, 1 through 4. The Sermon on the Mount ends in chapter 7. And then no sooner is Jesus finished up on the mountain, overlooking the sea, I'm sure, teaching the Sermon on the Mount, that look what happens when he comes down from the mountain. When Jesus came down from the mountain, there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately, this leprosy was, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's, isn't that something? Here you're on the mountain for three chapters, five, six, and seven. Greatest teaching ever. You come down from the mountain, you meet a leper of all people. What a nuisance. And as you recall, leprosy is like the worst in the Bible, isn't it? It's not only a physical disease of the skin, but it's a social disease. You must be cast out of the community. Remember the Valley of the Lepers in Ben-Hur? You have to be isolated, moved away. You have no place. But now even leopards will have a place in the kingdom of God, see? And this leper becomes maybe one of the first persons who really notices who Jesus is. Jesus comes down from the mountain and he realizes that he is not just a teacher. He is a teacher, but he's more than a teacher. He realizes he's not just a preacher. He is a great preacher and prophet. But he's more than a preacher and prophet. According to the leper, who is Jesus? Lord. See that? Good, good. Lord. That's the title for God. It's the title for our one true king. That's why we worship him when we gather together here. Not only that, is there a hint that he even worships God? Did he kneel before him? Does he have any question that Jesus can heal him? There's no praying to God, if it is your will. You are God. It's your will. Whatever you say, Jesus, can be done, right? So what a surprise that this leper is the one who realizes who Jesus is and that he really is Emmanuel, God with us present, kingdom of God's right here. Um, you may recall um, those closing scenes in the movie Ben-Hur, the 1959 version, <laughs> the only really good one. You can't beat Charleston Heston as Ben-Hur, can you? Uh, but in the closing scenes of Ben-Hur, um, Charleston Heston has seen glimpses of Jesus. And he believes that if he can just get his mother, Miriam, and his sister to see Jesus, their leprosy will be maybe cleansed. Do you remember that story? And how Ben-Hur, along with Esther, go down into the Valley of the Lepers 
and they search in the valley of the lepers, get themselves dirty with leprosy and scoop up his mother and his arms and his sister and take them out to see Jesus. Do you remember that scene? But while they're searching for them, Jesus is carrying his cross to Calvary. And they come and they think Jesus is the one that can cure their leprosy. That's their hope. But it doesn't look like it because Jesus is just carrying his cross to Calvary. And he's nailed to the cross. And they think, well, maybe Jesus isn't the one we thought he was. And then, if you remember the story, things turned dark as they did on Calvary that day. And the rainstorm came. As the rain poured down, they're hunched over like this with his leopard mother and sister. And the water comes down from Calvary. Mixed with blood. Do you remember that? Water and blood flow mingled down on Calvary. And the darkness and the storm and the lightning comes and so lightning comes, you look at the faces of the mother and the daughter, the lepers, and they get brighter and brighter and cleansed until they're clean and pure again. That's therapeutic, isn't it? This is a great picture of Christ bringing cleansing to our hearts and lives. We're thinking of that Hymn, Rock of Ages, 18th century hymn. Seems too old for us to sing anymore, but... And I guess it does drag a little bit. And we're not sure about these words. But Rock Bible should sing Rock of Ages. (laughs) Jesus is the rock. It goes, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. It's a little complicated imagery. Cleft for me has to do with Moses, the rock cleft. Now Jesus is the rock pierced, see, on Calvary's mountain. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. That's from John when Jesus was pierced on his side and he said water and blood flowed mingled down. Be of sin the double cure save from wrath, and make me pure and clean again, see? That's what happens when we enter the kingdom of God and Jesus touches us. Now, there's one more thing in that passage that I would like to spend a little bit of time with before we finish. Then Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing. See that at the bottom there? To anyone, why not? It's a big deal, isn't it? Why not strut around about this? But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. Now, it strikes me here that when Jesus comes down from the mountain and does this spectacular miracle, he is living out what he taught on the mountain. Didn't he teach on the mountain not to make a big deal about your piety. Didn't he say that? Didn't he say don't strut around about it? Is Jesus making a big deal about this? 
It seems to downplay it, doesn't it? You know, you would think Jesus might have said to the leper, you're right, I am God, watch this, boom! Did you guys see that? I'm God. Why doesn't he do that? Why does he lay low? Well, I think it's because he's therapeutic. Sometimes when we strut around, we ruin the healing, don't we? There's also in this, quite remarkably, it seems to me, he tells them to go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. You see that? Don't go out and around in public. Get to the priest. Take care of that thing that Moses taught us in the law. Well, I looked it up. I read the whole long, boring chapter of Leviticus chapter 14. And it has to do with how a leper can become part of the community again. It's a long, arduous process. It takes seven days in the temple, doing all this stuff, rigmarole, tabernacle. It has to do with all sorts of sacrifices. It has to do with oil mixed with blood. The oil is mixed with blood of the sacrifice placed on the right hand of the priest, and the priest then puts some on his head, he puts some on his earlobe of this oil and blood that's mixed, some on his right thumb, and then sprinkles some on his right big toe. I suppose it's a symbol that he's been cleansed from head to toe, right? But isn't it odd? Don't you think that's odd? And here's Jesus He could just say, forget all that silly stuff we used to do in the temple. The kingdom of God has arrived. Forget all that stuff. But he doesn't, does he? Does he honor the old ways? We might say today, go to the doctor. Check it out. Make sure it's really true. Let him proclaim you healed. I think that's something, don't you? There's this respect for the old ways. Um, We find this in the same chapter, Jesus, well, chapter 9. Jesus tells this parable. You probably know it. No one who sews a new patch on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making it even worse. Neither do we pour new wine into old wineskins. It would only cause the old wineskins to burst. No, we pour new wine into new wineskins. Watch this. Here's how it concludes. So that both can be preserved. We don't notice that so often. He's trying to preserve both the old and the new. He, He has introduced in Matthew as the son of Abraham, the son of David. That ancient promise made to Abraham that through him all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. That promise made to David that his kingdom will be forever and ever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that kingdom. Here's the kingdom of David. It respects the old ways. Um, Linda and I are trying to thin out our lives. It's not easy, but we're getting to that age where we've got to get rid of this stuff. And the reason we need to get rid of this stuff, reminds me, is because I know when my parents died, there's all this stuff. And now we're stuck with it. So we don't want to stick our kids with all this stuff. We're trying to thin out. 
So this is not easy in our house. It, it's a challenge to our 53 years of marriage. And uh, I want to throw out these old, old pair of jeans because they're torn, you know, the tear. I'm ready to get rid of them. Linda says, don't get rid of those because it's kind of cool to have cuts in your knees right now. <laughs> and so I noticed Jason. Jason, could you give me a demo here? Come on, come on. Come on up here. Come on. <laughs> see, how, see how cool Jason is? Now, you don't want to put new patches on that, do you? It's cool as is. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> no, there's something old and precious about the old people of God. Don't diminish them. Don't act as if we're above the Old Testament. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And I think that's something we have to be careful about in the kingdom of God because sometimes in the kingdom of God we can strut around as if this world means nothing to us. No, this world means something to us because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the old ways of God's people are still precious to us. They were precious to Jesus. He doesn't abolish that, does he? He doesn't heal the leper and say, don't bother with all that nonsense. No bother with that nonsense. It's precious to the old people of God. And so check it out. Make sure the priest says it's really so. Well, let's take one last look at our uh, summary text. And Denise, get the next slide. You know what, what's, what interests me that here is there's a verse just before our verses and there's a verse just after our verses. Can I read these to you? See, there's what we started out with. Jesus went about the cities and villages preaching, teaching, healing. We got that, right? And he always did it out of his compassion because the people were harassed and aimless. The sentence that goes before that is, the Pharisees said, by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. By the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub, Christ is casting out demons. Now, how would you respond to that? Don't you want to say, no, he's not? Don't you want to prove in some way that he's not? But the next verse simply says, Jesus went about the cities and villages preaching, teaching, and healing out of his compassion. The best answer to the Pharisees' questions is to go about preaching and teaching and healing. And when the authentic kingdom of God is formed, it is the answer to the Pharisees' indictment against Jesus. We always want to come up with our perfect answer to that question. We always want to, you know, like a C.S. Lewis apologetic. The best answer to that question is the authenticity of the kingdom of God in this congregation and in our lives. 
That answers every criticism that can be made about Jesus or the gospel. Okay, then the last one. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is optimistic about the gospel there, isn't he? He's saying, you know, because the crowds have come and followers, disciples, uh, the harvest is plentiful. Um, What if I was sort of negative about the gospel? What if I said to you, you know, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but of course nobody believes it anymore. Nobody comes to church anymore. Nobody cares anymore. This world is so secularized and so screwed up. What if I said that to you? You wouldn't want to come and hear the gospel, would you? What if I said to you, it's true, the world's screwed up. (laughs) But you know, there's something beautiful about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's therapeutic. It heals the harassed and aimless souls. Wherever this gospel is preached, there's a harvest of souls, a harvest of people to come to faith. Well, I think that whenever we are faithful to this, whenever we are faithful to the gospel, whenever we are faithful to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we become a therapeutic community. It's healing just to be around you guys. It's healing just to sing our songs of praise. I feel better when I leave, not the worse, right? Um, we're going to get to share communion in just a bit. And the Apostle Paul uh, has a little trouble in the Corinthian church because he tells them that when they take communion, he says, you leave the worst for it instead of the better. How did they leave the worst for it? Well, they left the worst for it because, well, for one thing, uh, we kind of do a vestige of it here, but I guess they did a big, they called it the agape meal, love feast, big potluck. And they do this big potluck, but the kind of richer people, the cooler people, they got to eat the most and drank the most and sometimes drank too much. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, when you guys are having communion, when you leave, you leave the worst for it. We all leave the worst for it. There is nothing therapeutic about it. Nothing healing about it. But rather, when you gather together, make sure everybody gets their common share, right? That everybody gets to participate in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you leave, you'll feel the better for it. So um, we will enter into our communion service now, communion part. Uh, The communion is the gospel made visible. The gospel be made touchable, see? It's about Good Friday and what happened on Calvary's cross that day. It's about that seen and been her when water and blood flown down from Calvary 
bringing healing. It's the story of Easter morning, which ended up turning dark Calvary into Good Friday. Because it means that God really was having dealings with us and that the kingdom of God really has come and that we participate in a different kingdom and we can never see the world quite the same again because of who Jesus is. So as we come to communion, uh, the bread and the cup been spread for us. I see you do it a little different than, well, our church. Then, then it's good. <laughs> if I got it right, we're gonna I'm gonna pray for the elements, and then we're gonna sing some songs. And you know what to do. I take it, but you come up, take a bit. Is that how it works? Did I get it right? I get it right. Uh, it's good. It's good that we eat and partake of this. We'll leave the better for it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word proclaimed and now for your word eaten. Let it go deep inside our hearts and souls as we participate in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be for us a visual, physical sign of the gospel that we believe and preach. May we leave the better for it. May the harvest be plentiful. I pray that you'll send forth laborers into the field to gather in your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.